Welcome to the Duet Partner Podcast. My name is Nylon. At Duet, we pride ourselves on being the original studio management software for independent music teachers who want to focus on nurturing students, not running a business. Our dedication to teachers remains unwavering. Music is our passion and music teachers are our heroes. And at Duet, we want to be your partner for continuing education along the way. This podcast will introduce you to your peers and the masters in your industry so that you can learn and be inspired just as you inspire others. Stacy, welcome to the Duet Partner Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here with you. So a little bit about Stacy. Stacy Smith is a Suzuki String Specialist in the Hearst Euless Bedford Independent School District outside of Fort Worth, Texas. Formerly the Faculty and Artistic Director of the Intermountain Suzuki String Institute, the Suzuki Program Director at the Gifted Music School in Salt Lake City, Utah, and President of the Suzuki Association of Utah, Stacy has a degree in violin performance from the University of Utah. Stacy is on faculty at Suzuki workshops and institutes across the United States and a featured presenter for the Suzuki Association of the Americas Parents as Partners series. In April of 2018, Stacy was awarded the Suzuki Association of the Americas Certificate of Achievement, an award given to teachers that demonstrate an outstanding commitment to excellence in their teaching. And as we're going to be learning today, Stacy is also a Suzuki mom to five children, a violist, two violinists, a pianist, and a bassist, all of whom provide her most in-depth Suzuki training. So Stacy, tell us a little bit about your own background as a musician. Tell us about how you got started as a child. What was the culture of music like in your home? What were the first lessons that you took? Did you start on the violin or is that something that you grew into later? Oh, that's such a good question. So I started playing the piano at the age of five, like a lot of kids in my neighborhood and in my social circle and in my family. But it was casual lessons with a teacher down the street where we would walk down to the piano lesson and walk back. And then the tradition in my family was that everybody started to play another instrument when they turned 12 or got into junior high, because you had the choice to either be in orchestra or band as one of the electives in junior high. So my story, as far as being involved in Suzuki, is really quite unique, because most people get started in Suzuki when they're very young. You think of Suzuki musicians who start at three or four or five years old. Well, I didn't start the violin until the summer after I turned 12, right before I went into junior high. And I didn't really get serious about the violin until I was about 15 or 16 years old. And I was driving the train on this from the very beginning. My parents um, provided the basics of what I needed. But by the time I had outgrown the neighborhood teacher down the street, I was working to pay for my own violin lessons and to pay for the car and the things like that to get me to my violin lessons. Wow. So I worked, I worked really, really hard. I loved music. I was fortunate to get involved with a really, really high-level high school orchestra that we played such amazing music and had some really, really terrific experiences. I got to go on music tours during the school year and during the summertime. We went to Banff National Park in Canada and we played at the base of Mount Rushmore on the 4th of July. And those people became some really, really close friends 
and some people who were mother figures and things like that in my life and really inspired me to want to do music. And when I, by the time I was a sophomore or a junior in high school, I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life. And so I went to the University of Utah and I got a degree in violin performance. And I started teaching for reasons that a lot of other people do, because you know it's a good way to make extra money. I never intended for teaching to be my career. Like most other musicians who go into college, I thought I would make a living as a performance artist. And so I finished my performance degree and I was teaching and I was working in music retail a little bit. And I had two little babies at the time. And someone convinced me to take Suzuki teacher training one summer. And they basically dragged me into it, kicking and screaming. I remember enrolling like two weeks before the training course started. And I came out after those 10 or 12 days doing Suzuki book one, completely transformed and on fire. And I started my my career, I guess, as a Suzuki teacher. I was convinced that I needed to go back and apologize to all the people I'd ever taught lessons to before. <laughs> because I knew so much better. And my oldest daughter was just turned three at that point. And so I also started her in Suzuki violin lessons that same summer. And so I started being a Suzuki teacher and a Suzuki mom at the same time. And it was really a trip because I was learning about things from both sides of the Suzuki triangle. But as I look back on that time, I think that that was probably the wisest and most valuable thing I could have done both for her and for me as a teacher, because there is nothing to teach you about teaching, like seeing it from the eyes of a Suzuki parent. Wow. I didn't, yeah, that's a fantastic element to your story is that you really did start those at the same time. You really are the expert in being a teacher and a parent. We don't know about being an expert. Every child is so different. And I laugh all the time about how much easier sometimes it is to be the teacher who gives the assignments than the parent who follows through with the assignments the other six days of the week. Yeah. And you did that five times. How old is your how old are your children now? My oldest is 20 years old. She plays the viola and she is in school at the Colburn School, which is a small conservatory in downtown Los Angeles. She would like to make a career as a chamber musician and she's in her junior year. My second daughter is a freshman at Utah State University and she plays and sings casually and is studying psychology at Utah State University. And then my bassist is Max. He's a seventh grader. He just turned 13. And my violinists are 11 and seven and they are Ian and Charlie. Wow. You really have seen every every side of the spectrum. So you've been doing this for 17 years now. Exactly. Your oldest is 20. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your studio. I know that you've made, recently made a transition. So tell us sort of about your personal studio and then what, you've, what you're doing now. Well, for many, many years, I was piecing together with a private studio and teaching out of my home and teaching at a music school in downtown Salt Lake. I would do a mix of both and combine my studios and things like that. And just recently, I accepted a job in the school district here. It's the Hearst Euless Bedford Independent School District. And we are so fortunate here that in this school district, the elementary school students have the option to take Suzuki lessons free of charge during their school day. 
So I teach at a Title I school, and these children who are accepted into the Suzuki program have a private one-on-one lesson with me once a week and then have group lessons once a week, all at no charge. And so these kids come out of their PE or their music or their art class and attend Suzuki lessons with their parent during the school day. And then we have after-school group classes once a week. It's an amazing, amazing program. There are 10 schools in the district that offer this program. And there are just over 400 Suzuki students, elementary school students involved in the program. And what is really unique about it is I'm starting now that I've been here a few months, I'm starting to see the full scope of the program because in our junior high, There are two full-time orchestra conductors and six orchestras in the junior high. And I recently sat in on one of their concerts this past week, their holiday concert, and I was blown away by the quality and the musicality and what these groups are able to accomplish. And so it's been very fun to be a part of it. So right now, my studio is very fun. I have kindergarten through sixth graders. I see about 40 students on a weekly basis. I see them for individual lessons, and then everybody has a weekly group class. So depending on what the day of the week is, I teach anywhere from kindergarten or fifth grade or sixth grade beginners, all the way through kids who are, you know, in book four or five or six that who have made it through the program. And then every day of the week, I'm teaching a different group class after school. It's very, it's a very unique program. It's very, very special. And the kids and the parents have been so fantastic and wonderful to work with. And each of those kids gets an hour lesson with you? They don't get an hour lesson. Their lessons are between 20 and 30 minutes. Okay. Generally. But still, I mean, that is a tremendous amount of work for you to be teaching private, 40 private students plus all of those group classes. My goodness. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing what they are able to do. You mentioned that the parents are required to be there at the lesson. Is that something that, of course, in the Suzuki method, that's a really important part of the philosophy is that the parent and the teacher and the student are working together. Is that new for some of these parents to, to, to be required at a lesson like that? It is. And the parents know from the very start that this is one of the conditions of them being able to enroll their children in the Suzuki program. And we have some parents who are so dedicated and so creative. Of course, we have some parents who are able to work at home and who are able to work their schedule around it. We have parents who come during their lunch break once a week. We have parents who schedule time with a babysitter. I have several Suzuki grandparents in my studio. So the grandparent attends the lesson on a weekly basis. So these parents have been able to structure their lives so that they can come during that lesson time every week. That's amazing. Wow. What an incredibly fulfilling position for you to have stepped into there in Texas. Well, and one of the wonderful things is I'm surrounded by really fantastic Suzuki colleagues as well. And so the 10 other teachers that I teach with are all very experienced and very passionate about what they what they're doing. And so I've been able to step in a position that runs so smoothly already with these wonderful teachers who I've already learned and gained so much inspiration from. It has really just been a fantastic position for us. Well, I I think through our conversation already, we've established lots of different points and ways in which you truly have a unique perspective on the relationship between 
uh, a parent and a teacher uh, playing those roles yourself, but now working with parents so closely. And so I'm excited to, to, to learn more about your perspective of what do parents wish teachers knew and what do teachers wish parents knew? Because for those who teach children like you, the primary relationship is directly with the child. And that's who the teacher spends most of the time with and is invested in and hopes will respond to their influence. And sometimes the um, student is the only attendee at a lesson, right? Um, I know for my, some of my children are getting old enough that they can drive themselves to their lessons now. And so I don't even have to attend, even if I, um, you know, wanted to. Uh, but sometimes there is that third party in the relationship, as you're describing uh, the parent. And you've been in that position. You have parents at your lessons now. And at the very least, parents are involved in the logistics of scheduling and transporting the students. And at the most, parents guide the students practicing. They're involved in repertoire choices and shaping your approach to teaching their child. So I think the big question is, what's the best way to navigate this relationship, right? And as we've established, you have a unique perspective on this question, both as the mother of five musicians and as a violin teacher yourself. So let's talk about what do parents wish teachers knew and what do teachers wish parents knew? As a teacher, let's start off with your favorite qualities in the parents you interact with. So what are some things that parents do that support your work that you just love? You just get super excited when you see a parent, you know, responding to you and your teaching in this way. You know, inevitably, when I have a parent who is new in my studio or a parent who is inquiring about lessons, I can almost predict the question will always come, well, I don't know anything about music. And I am delighted by that question because what works really well with parents is a desire to learn and a love for their child and a willingness to do what it takes to help them be successful. I love working with parents who are not musicians. I love being able to show them the world of music and to help open their eyes and to see how excited they get about learning something. I love when parents are willing to do whatever it takes for their kids to be successful. Now, I don't mean the parents who are immediately willing and planning to jump in and do an hour's worth of practice with their child seven days a week, and they're determined that that their child is going to turn into a prodigy by a certain age. It's not about that. But what it is, is a parent who is willing to follow through on a daily basis, a parent who's willing to be consistent, a parent who's willing to set up the environment for success, a parent who takes notes on the assignments and makes sure that they're, they're, they are following through or that their child is following through with the assignments. Most of all, a parent who is willing to work with me as a teacher so that the two of us together can help their child be successful. So a parent who trusts that I have a vision for their child to be successful and that that parent and I can work together to help the child get where they want to be. So what are some of the frustrations that you have with parents? I mean, what are some of the messages that you repeatedly find yourself delivering to parents um, that, that you wish were a little bit more adhered to or ingrained in their You know, one of the biggest mistakes I make as a Suzuki parent or as a parent in my child's music lessons is thinking, I don't need to write that down. I'll remember it. 
Mm. You know, I'll sit in a lesson and think, oh, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And then I just sit there and I don't write it down and I don't take a video and I just think I'm going to remember that. And inevitably the next day I sit down to practice with that child and think, why is this so hard? It seemed so easy yesterday in the lesson. And of course, I didn't capture any of the information in notes or on a video or anything like that. And so then we're shooting blind for the next, for the rest of the week until our next lesson. I think that one of the things that I wish I could tell and express to parents in general is the things that happen in lesson are gold. The things that your teacher is working on with your student are exactly the things they should be practicing at home. And if your teacher says, do this bow exercise 10 times every day, they don't mean it do it two times, three days that week. If you want to get the most out of your music lessons, do exactly what the teacher tells you to. Model the practice after the lesson. And then you can come back having made the progress and understanding the concepts that your teacher has presented. One of the other things that I, I wish parents could understand better is that their ch- success breeds success. And the more progress the children make and the easier the instrument becomes or the tasks they've been assigned become, then the happier they're going to be and the more they enjoy it. And then it becomes a cycle from there. But if a child only practices two or three days a week, that's barely enough time to keep their heads above water. It's barely enough time to retain the skills they already have, let alone build new ones. And so I see kids sometimes who come to lessons who haven't done as much practicing and they don't want to be there because they don't feel confident in their skills. And then it becomes a less positive experience for them. And so the best way to have a positive experience is to work consistently through the week on exactly what your teacher tells you to work on. And then your child is going to find more and more and more success throughout their time in lessons. I love the way you say that, that success builds on success. I've always said kids don't like their instrument until they're good at it. That's kind of been my version of that. (laughs) Kids don't like being put on the spot. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to feel less than successful. They presumably have a good relationship with their music teacher. And so they don't want to stand in front of the teacher and feel embarrassed for their lack of progress. And so a child who comes into a music lesson going, yes, I practice this and it's really easy and I can't wait to show it to you, is then going to be eager to present that to the teacher and then even more eager to take the next steps. So how do you build a relationship with the parents where you can communicate that sort of principle to them? Are they, I mean, do you put that in writing? Is that part of studio policies or an agreement that the parent, um, you know, Con- contracts with you? Or is that something you just try to communicate in sort of more gentler, informal terms? That's a great question. We have parent education sessions where we meet with the parents for several meetings before the child ever gets to meet with us and select what instrument. In our school district, the children have the opportunity to choose violin, viola, cello, or bass, string bass instruction. And so we meet with the parents and outline principles of the Suzuki method and what's expected of them and what's expected of the child and all of those basic principles before we ever meet with the child and let them choose the instrument. 
And then after the child chooses the instrument, the parent then has several lessons with us as teachers before we see the student for an individual lesson. And so there's a significant amount of time invested in the process and making sure that everyone knows what they're getting into and what they're signing up for and what their expectations are so that we can all start off on the right foot. And then I found that especially with my brand new parents all the way through Suzuki book one and even beyond that a portion of each lesson is dedicated towards helping the parent understand how to help their child at home. And it isn't necessarily structured like, okay, the first 20 minutes of a lesson is dedicated to the child and the next five minutes are devoted just to the parent. But it's something that happens really naturally where I'll show a child a bow exercise, for example, as a violinist. And then once the child feels comfortable with that exercise, I'll then have the parent replicate what we just did in the lesson. And I'll make sure that the parent understands exactly what I am looking for and what they should be looking for at home. And then we wrap it all up with a neat bow and say, now your assignment is to do this 10 times a day, every day that you practice. And then I make a note of that on their practice chart so that I know to follow up with them at the next lesson. Is so that something is that something that you did in your private studio as well that 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 sort of pre-orientation with the parents or is that something yes. that you're only doing yes. in your new position? No. I have become much better about it and much more structured about it now and I also see how valuable it is for parents to be on the same page as the teacher. That way it feels like when I get the child in front of me we can hit the ground running. I'm not always feeling like I'm playing catch up and thinking, oh, I should have told you this and I should have told you that. And oh, wait, we didn't cover this. And then you have to backtrack. It's a way of making sure that the parents and the students are really, really ready to go right from the start. That's so many, so many words of wisdom and so many great perspectives in there. So let's flip the tables a little bit at this point and talk about your experience as a parent And what have been your favorite qualities in teachers that your children have had? Because, I mean, have you taught any of your own children? Have you been any of your own children's Um, primary teacher? Oh, man, I could talk about this forever. (laughs) We'll have to do another conversation about teaching your own children, right? When my my oldest two were starting, I always wanted them to be with someone else. Um, I wanted to have that perspective. I wanted them to learn from someone else. And selfishly, I wanted to be able to learn from watching really, really experienced teachers. Mm. Um, I always swore for years that I would never teach my own children. And of course, you know, a cello, my son who plays bass now started as a cellist. And I couldn't teach that instrument, of course. Um, I did, however, when my two youngest were very, very little teach them. My fourth child, my son, wanted to start when he was just barely three, like just barely out of diapers. In fact, both boys, I told them they had to be potty trained before they could get their violins. And when when Ian was starting, he was three and he was grumpy all the time. Like that was just, he was a very serious, very grumpy child. And I couldn't face the idea of paying someone else to teach him when he was just going to be grumpy. I thought I can do five minute lessons every day with my three-year-old and he can just be wrapped into my studio. 
And so I've taught both of my little boys for quite some time. My son, Ian, has had some different teachers since the time he was about nine or 10. And I felt like he needed another adult in his life to help follow through with the assignments. I find that as my children got a little bit older, it was really helpful to have a teacher and say, this is not my assignment. Your your teacher gave you this assignment and I'm just following through with it. However, I have taught my youngest, Charlie, exclusively, and I'm still teaching him. And he's been playing since he was three and he's seven and a half now. And it just has been the best thing for us for now. And it's not saying that I will never turn him over to somebody else, just that what we're doing right now is working. And when it stops working, we'll figure something else out. Yeah. Yeah. And so with those, with those children who have studied with other teachers, is there anything that you tell them on the outset about, um, about what you expect from those teachers or what you hope those teachers will bring Oh, I have worked really hard as a Suzuki mom to get my children with great teachers who I respect and who I know that I will learn from as well. And I also know um, from my experience as a teacher that a parent who is constantly trying to teach over me makes for a really frustrating situation. So for example, if I were to enter a teaching situation where the teacher said something to do. And then I said, well, your teacher doesn't really mean that. Let's do it this way instead, because I think this, I would be undermining that entire relationship. So from the very outset, when I chose teachers for my children, I made the commitment to myself that I was going to step back and fulfill just the parent role, meaning that I would trust these teachers 100% implicitly. And even if it came down to something that I fundamentally disagreed with, rather than disagreeing in front of the child, that I would give deference to their teacher because I felt like that was really, really important and that my children deserve someone who was acting like a mom and not a mom who was also a teacher. Now, that isn't to say that that's easy. Those are really pretty words. (laughs) And it sounds like we just check off the boxes. But this goes back to one of the reasons why I love teaching non-musician parents, because they accept everything you say. But when you have a musician parent in the room, it becomes a little trickier. Like, for example, in bass lessons, I know enough about the bass to understand the instrument and how it works. But there are certain techniques that just blow my mind. And so I just get to watch and write things down just like any other parent. And there are times where I sit in lessons and I have to rush to get my phone out and record what my son's teacher just did because, oh my gosh, how did, how did you do that? And then three or four times where I have to say, wait, what? What? What did you just do? So there's very many times where I am just like any other parent. And when I feel completely clueless and along those same lines, I have the same experience as every other teacher where, you know, you'll practice something with your child for six days and you go in knowing that they're confident. You've spent a lot of time on it and your child stands up at that lesson and acts like they've never seen the instrument before in their life. (laughs) And I have to sit on my hands or bite my tongue or doodle in my notebook because they're, they're acting like they've never seen the violin before in their life. And 
it's it's a little embarrassing as a parent because you want to you want the teacher to like you and you want the teacher to see the hard work you've put in and understand that you've worked really really hard but then as a teacher when i see a parent in those kind of situations i totally look at that and understand every child has days that are a little hard and every child has days where the instrument feels weird or where they're thinking about something that happened in recess or the field trip that they're taking the next day instead of thinking about whether their second finger is playing C sharp and C natural. So from the teacher's perspective, I would say the parent tends to judge themselves much harsher than we do in reality. That That's really interesting. So you're basically uh, saying that for you as a parent, who's both a teacher and a parent, that that's that's the more difficult role for you to play oh, is that oh, is that that parent who's just stepping that. back and we talk about that all the time with my friends who are teachers and who are also raising Suzuki children. Yeah. As the teacher, it's so easy to say, that was great. You really understand that. Now go home and do that 100 times this week and bring me back a chart. Okay. It's really, really easy to say that. But then when I sit in the parent chair, there's the dialogue running through my head that thinks she's nuts. Doesn't she understand what she's asking us to do? There's no way we can accomplish that. She's crazy. What is she thinking? And it's very funny. It's very funny to have those two completely different mindsets. And there have been times where I've been discouraged or frustrated as a Suzuki parent. And I've had to take a step back and think, this is going to sound really funny, but I really had to take a step back and think, what would I tell myself if I were a parent in my studio? What would I, how would I approach the situation if a parent came to me saying these things? Because as, as parents, music lesson parents, not even just Suzuki parents, but parents who care about their children's music education, it's easy to get caught up in in the day-to-day grind of it and not see the overarching progress that's being made. And so there's been times where I've had to step back and give myself a pep talk (laughs) and remind me that we're doing, what we're doing is fine. And that a bad day or a bad week doesn't have to define our kids' musical journey. What's important is that we're doing it consistently every day and that it becomes part of what we do as a family. So you, so you've pointed to attention that I think is so common, right? That it's easy for the teacher to as- make these grand assignments, but the parent is just kind of cringing because because she knows what the day to day grind is like. Would you change any of that dynamic, though? I mean, you're obviously empathetic to both sides, but do you feel like it's important for a teacher to have those kinds of standards? You know that 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 sets that bar that high or or do you wish that there were a little bit more sort of consideration for the reality of this the of the home life when a teacher makes an assignment like that oh that's a fantastic question so as a teacher we understand what it takes to to polish something or to prepare something or to master a certain skill or technique And for every difficult skill or technique or piece of repertoire that we're learning, there's a certain amount of repetitions and sheer muscle memory that it's going to take for it to become easy. And so part of my job as a teacher is to give the parents and students the information of what it's going to take to make things easy. 
So again, from a violinist perspective, um, there's some fiendishly difficult pieces in Suzuki book four. And I'm famous for assigning 200 times charts to these difficult pieces. And almost every piece has a 200 times chart. And one piece even has a 500 times chart. And the parents get really, really sick of me giving them charts by the end of book four. But that's really what it takes for those sections of the pieces to become easy. Now, that being said, as a teacher, I recognize, and as a parent, I recognize that there are some weeks that just are disasters. There can be busy sports events. There can be school assignments. There can be someone who falls and cuts their head open and requires an evening at the emergency room instead of practicing their site's concerto spot 200 times. (laughs) And so what I tell parents often is, please come to lessons, even if you feel unprepared. Please come to lessons even if your practicing has been a mess that week. Please come and connect. Because often, I mean, my kids love their teachers, love their teachers. And they would tend, they would behave, they behave 10 times better for their teachers in a lesson than they do for me practicing at home. And they need that connection and they need that moment of relationship building and build of confidence and just that time to renew that relationship with their teacher, even if the practicing hasn't happened. And when a student and a parent come to me and they've obviously had a rough week, there is nothing wrong with having a lesson that feels like a practice Mm -hmm. because then I have more time to explore topics in depth and help students discover something that might be holding them back just a little bit. And oftentimes a student or a parent grasps something differently the second time it's approached. And so as a teacher, I don't ever expect that my students will practice, you know, 100 or 200 or 500 days in a row. If that's what's important to them and they want to go for that streak, then that's great. But I understand that we are human and that people have different interests and things that make them and their families tick other than music. And I feel like music can play a part in everyone's life, even if they don't intend to make it their career and their life's goal. And so as a teacher, I want to see my students as often as they can be there, even if their practicing has been less than ideal. And as a parent, I want to get my kid to those lessons and those group experiences and those recitals and the concerts, even if we've had kind of a crummy week of practice, because we never know when that inspiration or that moment of connection is really going to make an impact on them. I think what you're speaking to is the role of the teacher as a builder of character along with the parent, right? That's one of the reasons I love our teachers is because I feel like they're contributing to my parenting just as much as to my child's musical development, right? So they're they're teaching my child resilience, right? If you have a bad week, just try again, just start over again. We still want to have that that personal connection like you're talking about because that's what really matters in developing our, our character regardless of whether you're going to be pursuing music full-time or not. Um, and so I, I love, I love that, that sort of um, that sympathy that you have for, for both sides of the coin, but that you see the larger picture, both as a parent and as a teacher and what Absolutely. you're trying to accomplish with the child. And what is really fantastic as a parent is sitting down in that chair as a Suzuki parent for that half hour or 45 minutes or an hour or however long it is and knowing 
that this other adult who loves my child and who wants them to be successful has got it for an hour. And I get to sit back and I get to watch them work together and I get to watch them learn and I get to watch them make music and magic together. And I don't have to engineer any of it. I just get to sit and take the notes. I had an interesting experience this past week when my 11-year-old son was in a violin lesson in person with his teacher and I couldn't, someone else took him to the lesson and I couldn't be there for the lesson, but I was um, attending via Zoom. And so I was, I was able to see the lesson and still take notes on the lesson and see what was going on. But it was this magical experience because my son was really starting to take some ownership and he was asking intelligent questions and he was interacting with the teacher. And it was just one of those moments where I thought, man, this has all been really, really leading up to this, where this kid is showing ownership and he's showing enthusiasm and he's showing excitement and he's really, really loving this. And he's really becoming like a partner in this triangle that we've built. It's no longer his teacher and I driving the bus, but he was becoming this active participant in his own education. And that was really a magical thing to witness. Now, it's just as possible that he'll turn into a tween next week and forget how to hold his violin. But I am saying that those little moments are the things that give us energy and fuel as parents and help us keep going during the days when the seven-year-old is hiding under the table instead of getting his violin out. Not that any of us would know anything about that. (laughs) Well, you have a sense of humor about it too, which I can imagine is Um, really important for both sides of the coin, both parent and teacher, right? (laughs) Sometimes you don't have any choice. Sometimes it's really funny. I, um, a long time ago, started taking pictures and writing funny things that my kids said during practice down because sometimes it was so frustrating that I thought if I can spin this and if I can make it funny, then I won't be so frustrated. And those things have become some of my priceless memories. Like when they come across my time hop or my Facebook memories or something like that. And I see my three-year-old practicing shirtless with his tongue sticking out because that's (laughs) how he felt. Or I have a picture of one of my kids. I, I stepped away to go to the bathroom and during a practice and they came, I came back and that child was fast asleep on the couch with their violin. <laughs> you know, funny things like that, that just, they seem kind of frustrating in the moment, but I look back on it and they just make me laugh and help us remember that we were building something besides just twinkle, twinkle, little star. Totally. So let's, let's focus on you for a minute and your own experience with your teachers and your experience being a young violin student. Is there a particular teacher that stands out to you as somebody who who really did this job of, of crafting your character and your personality as well as teaching you the notes? Oh, that's, oh, I am indebted to so many teachers growing up. The first was this high school orchestra director who I mentioned who really took an interest in me. She really saw me. She really took the time to to nurture and to teach and to care about me in a way that was much more than just me as a violinist. Um, things in my growing up years were kind of turbulent and she acted like a mother to me through high school and was always just, I mean, she did everything she could to help me be successful just as a person and as a musician. 
I also am really indebted to a couple of my children's teachers who I've learned so much from. In particular, um, I had the the fortunate opportunity to have my oldest daughter and my um, my fourth child, my son Ian, study with Debbie Minch in Salt Lake City, who taught me so much about excellence and how there's so much more to learn and grow in as a person and as a violinist and how we're never done pursuing excellence. So I've had a really, really great opportunity to be surrounded by these teachers. And now as I've become a Suzuki teacher and as I've become more involved in the Suzuki community, I've been surrounded by mentors and teacher trainers who are so willing and so generous with their time and their knowledge and their expertise that I can go to someone with a question and say, here is a situation that I've never seen before. And five or 10 people will give me five or 10 perspectives that I've never thought of before. So these people are in the business of not just creating great musicians, but creating wonderful people with great hearts. And I couldn't even name more, you know, two or three or four of them without leaving out 10 or 15 or 20 who've had a great impact on me. I love the music teacher community and the network and the just the support and the love that we give to each other and the way that we're all in it to help these students grow. Thank you so much, Stacey, for so many words of wisdom. Thank you for having me. It was fun talking about this. These are things that I'm so passionate about and could talk about for a really long time. 